Welcome to the Community of Faith podcast, where you will hear the exposition of God's Word taught by Rev. Patrick Parham, pastor of Faith Community Fellowship in Bristol, Tennessee. If you are in the Bristol area and would like to visit, please join us for Sunday morning worship beginning at 10 a.m. If you're not able to join us in person, join us online. Visit our website, faith-cf.org. That's faith-cf.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. That's all one word, Faith Community Fellowship Bristol. Here at Faith Community Fellowship, our goal is to ensure that what we do is edifying to our Heavenly Father. And we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Let's join Pastor Pat as he brings us God's Word. We're going to begin our reading in verse 42 this morning in this chapter, Mark 14. Rise up and let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of swords and clubs came from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not take me. But the Scriptures must be fulfilled, and they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, elders, and scribes, but Peter followed at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. He sat with the service and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death and found none, for many, many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be worthy of death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, and to say, say to him, Prophesy. The officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Let's pray. Lord, I ask now as we come to this portion of Scripture, 
that our minds can be cleared of obstructing thoughts. Whatever plans we may have for after this church service is over or tomorrow, or fleeting thoughts that just happened come in, just nullify all that and help us to keep our eyes focused on the passage before us in Jesus Christ who is revealed therein. Help us as the people of God to realize afresh the gravity of what we're reading about. That You are none other than God the Creator who came out of a willing heart and suffered for us to the point that the Scriptures say You became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in You. Help us, Lord, to worship You in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, of course, we're picking up in the middle of some events here. Last week we talked about when they left the upper room and went up to the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't very far from Jerusalem. It says the Sabbath day's journey was about a quarter of a mile. It wasn't all that far, but it was across the Brook Kidron. And there was a garden out there called Gethsemane that they retired to quite often. And as I mentioned, no doubt the Lord had taught there many times. And His disciples had grown fond of the place, no doubt, and they had fond memories of listening to the Master as He taught there. And they go out this evening though and He takes the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John, further away. And He begins to pray, asking the Father to remove this cup from Him if it's possible. But as we saw last time, He said, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what You will. And He submitted totally as a man to the will of the Father there in the garden. The disciples couldn't stay awake. And he came the third time. They'd gone back to sleep. It was late and they were tired. and They didn't know what to tell him. They were ashamed of their actions, but they couldn't help it. They were just tired. They kept going to sleep. And he said, well, rise. And my betrayer's at hand. And even while he's talking there, right after he's poured his heart out to the Father, Judas the traitor, one of the twelve, comes with this great multitude from the chief priests and the scribes, and they've got swords and clubs. And Judas came out with much reinforcement. You see, Judas, nor the multitude here, the mob, whatever you want to call them, they didn't really have an idea or concept of who Jesus really was. Let me just ask you, how much good is a sword or a club against divine power? It's useless. But if that divine power has already submitted to the will of the Father, and knows that what's going on is in line with the Scriptures and had 
settled it in his mind and he's going to submit to all this abuse all the way to crucifixion, then you don't need swords and clubs. They just, they didn't understand what was going on. And, and, and Jesus had been telling his disciples about his upcoming betrayal for quite a while. He, Judas was there, he had heard all this before. And Judas the betrayer had given a sign. The one that I kissed, he's the one. And of course, they, they had seen Jesus before. They had some idea who he was. But the whole idea there is if you kiss somebody, you've got to be right next to them. And if you're right next to them and you're surrounded by all these people that have swords and clubs, the concept must have been well, there'll be much less chance of resistance if we're right on top of him. But think about the wickedness of that action. Coming up to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, and betraying him with the kids. Well, Judas does that, and they take him. And I want to skip down now to the trial before the Sanhedrin here in verse 53. We'll come back and do the intervening verses and talk about those, but right now let's skip down here. They take him into Jerusalem. They take the Lord into the home or the buildings that comprise the residence of the high priest there. It says in verse 53, the elders describe chief priests. In verse 55, it talks about all the council, meaning the ruling council, the 70 known as the Sanhedrin. They were all together here. And they wanted to conduct this so-called trial when they already had a prearranged end in mind. It was all for show. They already knew what they wanted. They wanted to put him to death before they ever brought him there. That was the whole purpose. And so they kept bringing in all these false witnesses and they couldn't agree on what they were saying. That's the thing about the lies. You, you, you can't really get liars to agree. And they're bringing in all these false witnesses, verse 56, but their testimony didn't agree. Finally, some came in and they said, well, we heard him say that if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. They're referring back to John chapter 2. At the beginning of the Lord's ministry, and the Gospel there tells us that he was speaking of the temple of his body. He wasn't talking about the building that they throw up here. He was, he was talking about the temple of his body. But they purposefully misinterpret these things because they, they need some testimony. But So the high priest is getting exasperated. We're not getting the results that we want. They're not, the, the testimony is not agreeing and, and we don't have any real reason to condemn him. And so, verse 60, the high priest takes control here. He said, do you answer nothing? What is this? These men testify against you, but Jesus just keeps on. I mean, what's the point? He already knows the outcome. They're going to condemn him to die. So the high priest puts him more or less under oath. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? 
are you? He cries, the son of the west. Of course, Jesus is going to answer the question there in verse 62. We'll look at that in great detail. It says, I am. And we'll talk about that. So the high priest gives the verdict that he wanted all along. You've heard the blasphemy is guilty of death. Everybody agrees. You see, it seemed they were so set in their minds that they never even listened and considered that what he was saying in verse 62, that they're going to see the Son of Man seating at the right hand of the power, and you're going to see the Son of Man coming, that it might be true. They never really even considered that. They never went back in their minds and considered the three and a half years of evidence that Jesus had so painstakingly laid out for them. You can read about that over in John 10, verse 37 and 38, where it says, if you don't want to believe me, just believe the works. They testify as to who I am. But they didn't, they didn't want to do that. They never considered that in John 10, and verse 30, said, I and the Father are one, that He had a personal claim to deity they never even went down that road in their mind that he might be telling the truth. And this trial was conducted by the avowed enemies of our Lord that had hated him almost from the first time they ever met him. They had violently been opposed to our Lord's ministry from the beginning. They were envious of him. They were envious of his followers. They, they despised his teaching because it rightly condemned their actions. Well, let's apply these thoughts here. We're thinking about the actions of the enemies of our Lord here. And once again, you see the incredible wickedness that the human heart is capable of. Judas, one of the twelve, betrayed the Lord. The chief priests and scribes sending an armed multitude with swords and clubs all show the incredible depth of sin that's involved here. Jesus had never physically threatened anyone. He had not once ever spoken of or encouraged rebellion in any way. But the hatred and envy of the religious leaders was such that their reason was totally abandoned. They hated him without a cause and meant to kill him before the trial ever started. That's the same kind of blind hatred that's behind Christian persecution in the world. It's inspired by Satan and encouraged by men's sinful nature. It kind of reminds you of Revelation 6 and verse 9 when he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the testimony was to held. And that shows us the necessity of prayer for protection and for the message of the cross to be received and to share it. So we've been looking at the actions of his enemies, but let's look at the actions of his friends for a few moments. Go back up to verse 47. I wanted to go back up there and talk about those verses just a minute. And, and one of those, and we know from another gospel that the one is Peter. He's the one that did this. He was standing by, he drew his sword, struck the servant, the high priest cut off his ear. Now, what kind of deductions can we draw from Peter's actions there? Well, one we can draw that Peter never at this point in time had really comprehended at all the spiritual nature of the Lord's kingdom. Meaning that he had not really been listening when the Lord repeatedly predicted he would be turned over to the authorities before he be crucified. 
Peter still didn't have a very clear concept yet of the Lord's reason for dying, that he was going to pay for our sins and satisfy the demands of the law, and at the same time uphold the holy requirements of a righteous God. And then if you go down to verse 54, you see another action of Peter. Jesus is arrested, they're leading him away, but Peter followed at a distance. He followed at a distance. And you might think, well, that's better than the other disciples. They didn't follow at all. But no, it really wasn't better. It really wasn't better. It was worse. Because he ended up at the wrong destination. He was surrounded by the wrong people. And he was subject to many more temptations than if he hadn't gone at all. He followed at a distance. And it says he followed them right into the courtyard of the high priest. Now we know that John's gospel tells us that John had to go out and speak to the girl that was keeping the gate to bring him in because John was known to the high priest. And I don't know where John went right after that, but obviously he and Peter didn't stay together. Maybe John went on into the trial and observed because he was known to the high priest, but Peter wasn't. So what does Peter do? He sat with the service and warmed himself with the fire. Here he is in the enemy's territory sitting around the enemy's fire, and that's never a good place to be invited temptation. By these actions, he, he, he demonstrated that he still didn't believe the Lord's warning that he would deny him three times that very evening. Well, what about the other disciples? Back up in verse 50. They all forsook him and fled. Not one stood with him. Not one, even to the point of something just so simple as walking alongside of him as he was going down to the high priest there. His greatest hour of need, and everyone forsook him. And then there's another unnamed young man here in verse 51 and 52 uh, that followed him. And uh, many, many people think it was mother, Mark's mother's house where the upper room was, and they observed the Lord's Supper. We know her house was a gathering place for Christians. We find that over in Acts chapter 12. We know that. And if the Last Supper took place in Mark's mother's house, it's conceivable that Mark's bedroom might have been close enough that he could have listened to what the Lord was saying. And when they left the room, he might have just, I, mean, I know it's all supposition. I'm just giving you something to think about. He might have just jumped up and wrapped himself up in that sheet and didn't have time and took off after him. And Well, the gospel here is written by Mark. Who else is going to know that story except the person to which it happened? It's not exactly something you're going to run around telling everybody about. But I just give you that to think about. Let's apply these verses. Peter's problems began earlier in the evening when he argued with the Lord and stated that he would never deny him in spite of the fact Jesus had just told him that he would. That reveals pride had found a home in 
Peter. And the scripture plainly tells us pride goes before a fall. He just did not understand the weakness of his flesh. He had no idea of the pressure that was going to be put on him and the rest of the apostles that night. He would have been much better served, and so will we, if we just remember and listen to the instructions Jesus gave back in verse 38. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And then sitting with the enemies of the Lord around the fire in the courtyard of the high priest, by definition, set Peter up for temptation. It set him up. He should not have been there. He should not have been warming himself at the fire built for the comfort of the ones that hated Jesus. We need to take that to heart. There are certain places a child of God just shouldn't go. I'm not going to name them for you. You know where they are. Just don't go. There are certain things a Christian shouldn't do. Again, that's I'm not going into a list. We just all know it's true. There are certain people, and this might be a little harder to hear, but there are certain types of people that children of the Heavenly Father don't need to become really close good friends with. Witness to them, but not be really good friends with them. We'd all do well to remember what the Lord said in the latter part of the Lord's Prayer, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, we looked at the actions of the Lord's enemies. We looked at the actions of the Lord's friends. Now, what does the Lord have to say? Verse 48. The crowds around him here now. Judas has already betrayed him with a kiss. The swords and the clubs are all around. Peter's already struck the servant high. Uh, the high priest cut off his ear and Jesus just healed him. And he said, Have you come out against me as a robber? So I'm not a robber. I was with you every day down at the temple teaching. My ministry wasn't secretive. I wasn't leading a rebellion. But then he says, But the scriptures must be fulfilled. That was the real reason this was going on. And this is the only real reason that Jesus submitted to this type of treatment that the Scriptures must be fulfilled. And then you skip down to verse 62. I, I, I told you I was going to come back to this verse. And this is His testimony before the Sanhedrin there, the trial. He answers the question, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. <coughs> I am the Son of the Blessed, meaning God the Father. And he says, I have all power. That's what he means when he says the Son of Man. You'll see him sitting at the right hand of the power. That's going to take place in the judgment. He said, I have all power. And I am coming again. You will see me coming with the clouds of heaven. Think again of verse 62. And think about it with me for a moment from the viewpoint of the promises of God for us as people. We know Jesus later would ascend back into heaven and Romans 8.34 tells us He's seated at the right hand of the Father wherever it is to make intercession for us. And we know there's coming a day when everyone, saved or lost, will see Jesus come as the second coming. He says, I'm coming again. 
In the clouds of heaven, you're going to see me. That means his second coming is going to be bodily and visible. It has to be. And it also means that the judgment is a reality. You see, the second coming is the blessed hope Paul talks of over in, second, in Titus 2 and verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a time that he's talking about here in verse 62 that we as God's people all look forward to. You really should. A glorious time of rejoicing for us, but it also is an impetus for witnessing to others. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Paul writes, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust also to your consciences. Well, i got to conclude. Let's, let's, let's wind it down. Think again, just a moment, about that horrible mockery of a trial. And you see the true nature of the Lord's enemies in verse 65. Verse 65, some spit on him. They blindfolded him. They beat him. And they prophesied, tell us who hit you even though your eyes are closed. And we got you blindfolded. They were insulting his person, but especially his claim to deity. But you see, when we read things like this, don't just skip over them and read them and say, well, it's a historical fact. It is, but why is it a historical fact? Isaiah says he did this. Surely he has borne our griefs, yours and mine, and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. That should open up a fountain of endless praise from the hearts of Christians. A second point in my conclusion is none of the Lord's angels, I've hit on this a little bit earlier, none of them understood anything about His mission or His kingdom. His mission was not to lead an army against the Romans. He didn't come to reinstate Jerusalem and Israel in all its former glory. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to die in the place of sinners. He came not to be served, but to serve, not for judgment, but for salvation. His kingdom was not of this world. He told Pilate later in John 18 and 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not... From here, that's something we need to remember as well. The kingdom of Christ is a spiritual kingdom. Now, it's true that when we go out to witness, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love and pray that the Lord would use us to draw others out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And as we talked about so much in depth last week, Jesus was totally submitted to the Father. He believed in the absolute authority of Scripture. And we've emphasized over and over, those are two foundation stones that we need in our Christian walk as well. We need those foundation stones. So, as we close the service out and return to our homes, let us remember that you and I are God's servants. And just like Jesus, we need to do what God commands. That will make it good for us in this life. 
and well for our souls in the next. If we just build our lives on those principles, submission to God, the authority of Scripture, we'll have an infallible guide to faith and practice. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Let's stand for a closing prayer. Lord, I thank You for this time we've had together. Thank You for these powerful verses of Scripture. Thank You for the blessed hope that You are coming again. And I thank You for the gracious, wonderful act of love and suffering on our behalf. It should have been us there, but you went in our stead. And we thank you and love you and serve you as a result. Be with the people as we return to our homes. Help us to keep our minds focused upon you this day. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Pat, for another wonderful message from God's Word. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Pastor Pat's message. If this has been a blessing to you, please like and follow this podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to support this ministry and the other ministry opportunities at Faith Community Fellowship, please visit our website, faith-cf.org support. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Community of Faith.